and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regularly weekly roundup of everything that matters in the world of PR and communications. This week, it's a Gen Z takeover. As you may have noticed, I am not Steve Barrett, the illustrious editorial director of PR Week. I'm in fact Ewan Larkin, the corporate reporter at PR Week. Steve is out on Europe vacation this week and unfortunately could not join us, but rest assured we will still be guiding you gently through another excellent show. We are also missing Frank Washcook this week, but that's all right because I'm joined today by Brandon Dower, a reporter that works across PR Week and our sister publication, Campaign. Brandon, your first time on the show. Welcome. How does it feel, my friend? It feels awesome. Uh, diehard PR Week fans may know that I have been on once or twice, but for the more layman casual listener. Uh, this is my first time in the studio. First time, you know, in a significant format, staying for the whole thing. So I'm very excited. We cracked a beer. We're keeping it casual in here. I just got beer all over my hands. <laughs> so they're very sticky right now. Okay. Well, we've got a great show for you this week, folks. We're joined by Lyft social media manager, Bree Reynolds. Bree, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me honored and elated that you want to hear from me. Absolutely. We'll chat to Bree in a second. Uh, later on the show, we'll talk about some Gen Z focused and social media topics. We'll talk about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and how they lit social media on fire on Sunday. We'll also chat about the viral Kevin James meme. That should be a bit of fun. And then afterwards, we'll talk about the Roman Empire and why it's seemingly everywhere on social media right now. And then lastly, we'll wrap up with threads and why it's unfortunately more bad news for the Twitter clone. But before we chat to Bree, we were at Sotheby's last Thursday celebrating PRW 25th anniversary. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the uh, editorial director of PR Week. Thank you so much for joining us to celebrate our 25th anniversary uh, in this wonderful space. 25 years. Rumor has it I had a full head of hair back then, but uh, there's no photographic evidence. Myself and some of the editorial team chatted to a few people and kind of got some reflections and thoughts on celebrating 25 years of PR Week. Let's take a listen to some of the best bits now. 25th anniversary. Happy 25th anniversary. Happy anniversary. My name is John Saunders. I'm president and chief executive officer at Fleischmann Hitter. I'm Kim Sample. I'm the president of the PR Council. My name is Curtis Barrett, principal of Buzz Bar PR. Kevin Wong. I use he, him pronouns. I'm the senior vice president at The Trevor Project. Michael Kay, director of brand marketing and communications at Archer and OkCupid. How does it feel to be here at PR Week's 25th anniversary celebrating? I'm thrilled to be here. I think it's a really important event. I mean, PR Week has contributed so much to our industry. It contributes handsomely through all the events that you have and all the awards that you have, which make our industry incredibly competitive. At the same time, the uh, coalition that you've helped build between those of us who work on the agency side uh, and also those who work in-house has been enormously helpful, I think, in developing a greater sense of professionalism throughout our industry. So the role of PR Week is not to be underestimated at all. I think you guys have done an extraordinary job. You know what I was thinking about PR Week is um, it's such connective tissue for the industry. It's not just the publication, it's all of the events. And um, I think the publication has done an amazing job of bringing people in the industry together helping us get better together and really form these amazing connections that sort of transcend work and are a lot about our connectivity in our lives. I think PR Week has really added a professional scene to our industry that we did not have. And without you guys making us look good, it's kind of a hard thing to say, hey mom, I work in PR, but PR Week has really done that. And the fact that you guys have been around for a quarter of a century 
I mean, certainly longer than any Hollywood marriage, certainly longer than so many things of value. So I guess you guys make me proud to be in PR, so thank you. This is Steve Madden. I'm the editorial director of Haymarket Business Media. About a year ago, Steve Barrett came to me with this idea for wanting to do a big party and blow out for the 25th anniversary of PR Week. And I said, you know what, Steve? The only people who care about a brand's anniversary are the people at the brand. And he said, you're dead wrong, mate. And I said, okay, show me. And this week he's done nothing but show me how wrong I was. And I'm so happy, never been so happy to admit that I was wrong because what you see around you in this room today is a testament to the, the power of a brand, a brand built on editorial integrity. And so to Steve and to Craig and to everyone else at PR Week, Congratulations, happy birthday, and enjoy your hard work. How does it feel to be celebrating tonight? I think Steve looks amazing for 25 years old, and PR Week is a staple in the industry. Of course, they deserve another 25 years and beyond. Congratulations on 25 years. It feels incredible, especially as a communication student who used to read PR Week in my college library, and this being the publication that helped me figure out the career path I wanted to be on, so it's an honor to be here with all the people that helped make 25 possible. Hi, I'm Dave Arman. I'm CEO of 3BL Media, and I'm here to wish PR Week a happy 25th anniversary. It's great to interact with PR Week without a crisis going on. Any reflections on how the industry has changed over the 25 years or maybe where it's going next? Anything generally there? In my time in the industry, from the time I worked in Ireland to the time I worked in London to now being in the United States, I think the sheer influence of the business has grown um, beyond all recognition. The fact that so many people within our business play such a pivotal role in the C-suite today is something that was unimaginable 25 years ago. Well, I remember a time when there were books that you would flip through for contacts. It has since become totally virtual, a lot of software for that. And I, I also remember a time when I would fax pitches. I used to fax pitches to newsrooms. And uh, depending on who you ask, picking up the phone to call a reporter is a little different now. This is a hard question because I'm only 25 years old, so there's not much that I remember. I will say over the past 10 years that I've been in this industry, what's been incredible to watch is the increase in respect that we've all gotten but also the opportunities that we've been given to really expand beyond the traditional confines of public relations. And we're eating away at what marketers are doing, what advertisers are doing, and it's only gonna continue. Dramatic changes. We're actually celebrating our 25th anniversary this year, which is kind of funny because the LeGrant Foundation is as well. And um, our goal is to help build smarter agencies and that means all kinds of different things. It's helping diversify our agencies, it's helping us to be smarter about measurement, helping us be smarter financially and it's been interesting to be sort of part of this PR week family and growing up together and I think the business today is incredibly diversified. I think it's always been exciting. I've been in PR, my PR agencies my entire career. But I think today, you know, there's real accountability because we have the data and analytics to prove what we're doing. 
I think we have gotten that seat at the table, never more so than in the early days of COVID. And we're really able to demonstrate that we are moving the business and I think society forward. You know, I'm excited about PR as a discipline that can help solve the world's biggest problems. And I think we demonstrate that every single day. So what was in the water in 1998? Uh, PR <laughs> Council, the Grand Foundation, myself, PR, we, everything came to light. What was in the water? I do not know. You should ask your parents. I, <laughs> I think that um, maybe we were just ripe for growth and professionalism. And I, I think there's been an uptick in professionalism of the industry throughout these 25 years. And PR Week has mightily contributed to that. Over the next 25 years, what are you most looking forward to in the industry? In the next 25 years, I really look forward to PR professionals in the PR industry proving that you will not be able to take out the people and the professionals from the PR industry. It's not going to be AI driven. AI will have a place, but PR professionals, human human interaction and um, relationships will always have a place. In the next 25 years, I look forward to seeing BIPOC, LGBTQ plus people, women dominating the C-suite, just like we've been dominating the industry. So I look forward to seeing all of us break through every single ceiling. Happy 25, PR Week! I hope you enjoyed hearing some clips from our, our Thursday gathering at Sotheby's last week. And now let's get started. We'll chat to Bree. Bree, you've been at Lyft for, I can see, for just about over a year now. And it looks like you've had great success so far. Just to kind of get started, can you kind of walk us through how you got into social media management? What kind of drew you to that business? And can you kind of uh, walk us through your approach a little bit? I read something recently that it's, you know, I saw a post that you said that copy that sounds like a human always works best. And I thought that was really interesting. Can you kind of you know, just give us the broad background and how you got into it and maybe a little bit of a, the approach to your strategy. Yeah, um, I was fortunate enough in college to do a ton of internships. I actually did six before I graduated in all sorts of marketing functions from PR to influencer to like long form content. And I noticed between all the companies I bounced around at that the social team was always having the most fun. They were trolloping around, making content, having all the laughs, uh, getting involved in all the sexiest parts of the company. And I quickly was drawn to that level of visibility, that level of creativity. Uh, So I found myself uh, able to network while I was at an intern uh, at Adobe the summer going into my senior year. I was completing a PR internship and was able to network with the social team and they invited me back for a full-time role after graduation. I'm actually pretty newer in the post-grad career space. I graduated in 2020. I was a pandemic grad, had the old virtual graduation ceremony, did the whole tassel transfer on my parents' couch. Um, And here I am about three years later at Lyft. I've been at Lyft for a year now. It's been a wild ride. There's been so many cool initiatives that I've got to be a part of. Lyft's, what's great about Lyft is that we're a large company with, I think, the best parts of a startup mentality. Um, we have a lot of nimbleness, a lot of people ready to break things and, and do cool stuff. So yeah, it's been fun. And in terms of uh, an approach, I'm, I'm glad that you like my LinkedIn post. That makes me happy. Um, I think, yes, of course, like talking as a human is hopefully 
what I see as like the bare minimum for social teams and, and what they should be doing. But I think where, where that starts is really educating your executive leadership on, on what your social team is doing, especially because these days the, the tone on social doesn't always translate to the tone across other marketing channels. When, when you get an email from Lyft, we hope that it might sound like it's coming from the same broader voice, but on social, you should be interacting with us in a unique way. And sometimes that warrants a specific tone of voice and content style. And it's hard to have the liberty to do that without getting your execs on board. So I think it's always important to start with that as the first step. Bree, I wanted to ask, because I've been, I've been getting familiar with the tone of voice on, uh, on your guys' social accounts. And, um, you know, it's very funny. It's, uh, it's, it's lighthearted. That seems to be a little bit of a, a trend uh, that's becoming more popular among uh, social media platforms, uh, especially those with like mascots, right? It's doing like the unhinged, crazy tweets, roasting consumers, that sort of stuff. I'm curious what you make of that style of communications <laughs> becoming a little bit more common for uh, brands on on social media. Yeah, it's been yeah, it's definitely been a huge conversation um, on LinkedIn. That's for sure. I think there's a spectrum. There's this. I feel like unhinged and chaotic is probably on the the far right side of the spectrum, whereas like corporate and textbook is on the far left side. Where your brand falls along that line is up to you and and your broader team and and the value you place on the audience that you're talking to. There's uh, there's some brands who that truly just doesn't make sense for their audience. If you're speaking to an older audience, if you're speaking to someone who's in the corporate world, someone who doesn't isn't used to that sort of language, then that's not always the right decision. Um, but we've found success in in towing a little bit in between both worlds, probably skewing more towards the the casual tone of voice. And we've found a lot of success with that. And I, and I think that comes back to what, what you guys gravitated towards is like talking like a human. I guess that's maybe the, the descriptor that I would call our tone of voice is human, human to the audience that we're talking to. And um, I think we always look at content as we want this to feel like it's coming from your best friend, from someone that you trust and know and that you're used to seeing content from. So that's how we kind of litmus test the the tone of voice that we're working with, and I think for now we've we've struck a good balance. Yeah, it it does seem to be very uh, brand dependent. Uh, I, I feel like I've noticed that, especially on X, formerly Twitter, there there does often seem to be a disconnect between brands that are trying to be funny and personable, and then the interactions they're getting with consumers, um, like people treating those posts as like tech support forums when it's just not at all, it seems like what the original message was. Uh, how do you contend with sometimes that disconnect between the the type of comms you're trying to put out with people and then what they're giving you back? Well, I mean, there's a ton of issues with X right now and trying to be a social media marketer on X. I, I'll always call it Twitter. It feels more like Twitter to me, but so you might hear me calling that throughout the podcast. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a challenge that we've faced at Lyft. Um, we're, we're trying to revamp that audience and figure out uh, who they are now that we've been on the platform for a really long time. Something that we've encountered as a, a brand that's, I guess, quote unquote, like le legacy on Twitter. We've been on there for, I think, over eight years. It's been a really long time and that audience has really changed. Is uh, the audience that originally followed us years ago 
the content that they were accustomed to knowing is not the content that we're posting now. Um, maybe eight years ago, that was more informative or news or, um, you know, links out to, to articles. And that's, that's not what we're posting anymore. So we're, it's, it's a bit, there's some growing pains with transitioning your content style. And unfortunately, that's one of the symptoms is you're getting commenters who are using it, like you said, like tech support. And it's a challenge that we're definitely working through. But I think those pains are worth the opportunity, which is to reach new audiences, reach the audiences that are like accustomed to the more casual brand friendly style content. And that's, that's the goal that we're reaching for there. Yeah, I want to kind of get into that kind of broader state of play with social media right now. We already talked about X, but it feels like it's gotten, you know, a bit confusing recently. There's so many platforms. You have TikTok, which is strong as ever, but, you know, they're obviously dealing with some stuff in the news cycle. You've got X now. It seems like LinkedIn is gaining a little bit of momentum. And there's just so many platforms for these brands to kind of figure out where they should where they should be, you know, posting content. How, how, how would you kind of, what, what advice would you give to brands that are trying to figure out where they should be engaging on these social platforms? How do they figure out where their place is and you know, where their audience is? Yeah, there are so many platforms. And I think the, the world that we were in probably five years ago where Twitter, Instagram, um, or I guess less than five years ago, the world we were in a couple years ago where it was just TikTok, Instagram and Twitter as the big three. I don't think we're in that world anymore. Sure, by volume, those are arguably the three biggest platforms for brands to focus on. But between Discord and Twitch and Pinterest, and I mean, we had the Clubhouse moment, we had the Threads moment, there's always new platforms popping up. And I think that's at first, it might be overwhelming for the social media manager or for the social team. But I think it's actually a really cool opportunity if you can inform your executive team to get them to understand which platforms you should be forgetting and which ones you should really be investing in. Um, I don't think every brand should feel like they need to be on every platform. A brand that finds themselves successfully creating Pinterest content is not going to be the same brand that like could also have a great Discord presence. Those are just such different content styles and mediums that you, you can't have a social team be able to completely focus on both content styles. So it's definitely important to narrow down. I think it always comes back to your audience, both your current audience and your goal audience. Sometimes I think while the audience analytics are helpful, they're actually quite limited depending on per platform. It's also important to just stay true to the audience you're hoping to garner. There was a while there that our audience on Instagram, for example, was outside of the the target audience that we were hoping to reach within the last quarter, we've been able to finally successfully have the majority of our audience in our target range that we're hoping to speak to, which was a huge win for us. But we did that by really doubling down on the platforms that we prioritized and creating content that really made sense there and not getting lost in the noise of trying to make a a Twitch or a clubhouse thing happen. We were really able to put blinders on and focus on the platform's that mattered. But yeah, I would say for brands trying to decide which platforms to stick on, always look to your audience, your current audience, the audience you hope to reach, and also just be realistic with the creative resources you had. I I tried to allude to this a second ago, but the graphic designer that's making Pinterest posts for you can't also make like a clubhouse audio room. Those are like two completely different styles of content creation. And if you don't have a budget for 
fancy audio folk like yourselves uh, to have a clubhouse presence, then why are you forcing your social team to try to create assets that they aren't scoped for? I think uh, one of the things that's interesting for us is that we at PR Week are obviously very concerned with communications and public relations. And we've seen, you know, over the last 25 years, we were looking at this for our 25th anniversary content. Social media has become so important in how a brand communicates with, you know, you reach a different set of stakeholders on there, but it's also where the younger generation is looking to first in a lot of these circumstances. So how do you kind of work with the communications department in, I know that you guys had a a big announcement around uh, Women Connect uh, recently. How do you kind of connect with the communications teams around kind of these big product launches or these big campaigns? How do you kind of work in tandem to, with each other to make sure that, you know, you're reaching those important stakeholders and it just goes over smoothly? At Lyft, uh, social is a part of the comms team, um, which has been extremely helpful for me. I've, I've learned so much now being a part of the comms team and being closer to that higher level messaging um, with the company. But yeah, for, for these big initiatives, what I think is awesome about our broader team is that they give us the the template, if you will. They give us the foundation of the campaign, the messaging, and the goals that we're we're hoping to reach with the the broader campaign. But they give us the liberty on social to really digest those messaging points in a way that makes sense for our audience and for the content we create. I think it's clear when you scroll on certain brands social and you can like read through the corporate jargon and the like super stoic language and you understand that maybe that flexibility isn't warranted to that team but i'm very grateful that um being a part of our broader comms team also has given us the the respect and the trust to translate the that messaging into a way that really works for social so that's been amazing. It's It's been great, like I said, being able to work closer with them, being able to have greater visibility into uh, broader company initiatives and um, everything that they're doing and also have uh, execs lean in a little bit closer to the content we're creating, which for the most part has been awesome. Uh, so yeah, so we're a very collaborative team. We On these huge campaigns, we're in lockstep with each other. And like I said, I think that trust that we have has been the most integral part to the success of our collaboration, them allowing us to translate those messaging points in a way that makes sense for social. I did just want to ask uh, really quickly, just to kind of follow up that, do you ever feel like there's pushback? Because I know that you're trying to have like a, you know, a unique voice on social media. And a lot of times like the, the PR professionals and the comms, like their job is to keep things very, you know, neatly polished and neatly wrapped. Do you ever get kind of that disconnect between the two where you have this really fun, crazy idea and they want to reel you back in a little bit? I know you said there's a lot of mutual trust, but I'm sure stuff like that has to go on occasionally, right? I definitely can't say that that hasn't happened where we've been asked to, to reel stuff yeah. in or to not not fly certain things. I mean, uh, our team, we're always going to shoot for the stars. We're going to do the wacky stuff. We're, we're going to want to like really toe the line of, of, of what we can do. And um, yes, our, our broader comps team kind of helps us reel it in where we can and, and um, make it make better sense with our goals. But um, I think like the, the secret sauce to navigating that pushback is about education. Mm. Um, that trust that we established with the team doesn't come without us being forthright of what we're trying to do. Hey, we're, we're going to experiment with this tone of voice. Hear us out. This is this is why we're doing this. It's going to feel a little different. We're going to evaluate and make sure the results are there to make this quote unquote risk worth the reward. Um, so it, I think that's the way to unlocking 
that pushback. And it's something that we're continuing to build. I don't think we're at a perfect spot yet, but uh, trying to do that cross-functional education, not just with our comms and PR counterparts, but with our with our product team, with our events team, with our corporate, um, with our internal communications team. Like we were trying to educate the broader company of why we speak the way we do on social. And I think it makes it worth it when like in those big all company slacks, there's a message that's that tags us and is like, oh my gosh, this Instagram post is so fucking funny. Yeah. It that's that's what makes it all worth it. When someone random at the company gets what we're doing. And also the numbers don't lie too. It's important to stay to stay close to how that content performs. So then when there is pushback and questions for the next big idea, we can reference what worked well in the past and show that that risk was worth the payoff. And I want to just ask you lastly, I just wanted, we, we mentioned LinkedIn a little bit briefly um, before. It seems like there's, and I don't know whether this is to do with what's going on at X or other social media platforms, but at least to me, um, in my anecdotal experience, it seems like it's, you know, there's a bit of momentum going on at LinkedIn. I see that you post on there often as well. And these, yeah. you know, it's a nice space for, it seems to be, you know, for lack of a better term, it seems to be a nice space for thought leadership. And a lot of people are, you know, getting a bit more personal on there as yeah. well. Do you see the value in there going up on that platform and communicating? And do you pro it, you know, I know it's more so personal on there rather than the entire brand, but how do you use it? And do you kind of see it as a new emerging platform communicators? Is there, is there value in that platform going forward? Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm like the hugest LinkedIn fangirl ever. I have, uh, I have a presence on LinkedIn that I invest in and post regularly. I absolutely love it. I think the part of me that's always been that like nerdy kid in class that like cares a little bit too much about school, like thrives on LinkedIn because I can like finally talk about work uh, and have it not be like cringe or teacher's pet vibes. So I I love LinkedIn for from a personal branding perspective. And it's helped me get projects at work um, because people will see a post of mine and ask me like, I didn't know you had insights on this. I didn't know you had thoughts like we're working on this over here. Would you want to consult or be a part of it? And that's where it's actually been great for me is for internal opportunities and internal networking. In terms of brands investing on the platform, I think there's totally untapped potential there. Our brand journalism team actually owns our LinkedIn platform um, just because the content styles are so different than what we're doing across other platforms. And that collaboration has been awesome. So we have some great sort of thought leadership style content that's always going up on Lyft's LinkedIn channels and it fits really well with the platform. I think another great brand to look at on LinkedIn for inspiration is Slack. Um, Slack does a great job at kind of towing the line between casual and professional. And obviously they have both a B2B and like a, and a consumer audience. So they're a great example to look at where I think they're doing both really well there. And yes, I think in general, there's a lot of untapped potential for that platform. Fantastic. Well, thank you for chatting to us, Bree. We really appreciate it. We'll get your thoughts on some of these news topics in a second. Let's jump into, I think it's fair to say, Brian, in the news that everybody is talking about. You can't go anywhere without seeing this. You may have noticed that Taylor Swift attended the Chiefs game on Sunday. Why don't you walk us through a little bit what happened, Brandon? Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is very, very exciting news. That's why I became a journalist personally <laughs> is for, for news like this. Uh, yeah, Taylor Swift showed up at the Chiefs Bears game last Sunday. Uh, Big game for the Chiefs. They won 41 to 10, but uh, it was really Taylor Swift's presence that kind of was the the, the story, um, you know, walking away from that game. So I guess a little bit of the timeline, right? Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey invited Taylor Swift to one of his games on social media. Uh, she shows up and they are seen leaving the game together again. 
hard hitting news right here. Yeah, uh, this is what you come to PR week for. But you know, it's looking at social media, right? This is you have Taylor Swift fans who are writing guides for uh, fellow fans to watch the NFL, which teams to follow, which teams suck and you shouldn't care about. Uh, Kelsey's jersey sales just shot up by 400%. That, that is absurd. Uh, I saw a couple people on Twitter, whatever business or company they're in, were like asking Taylor to come, you know, be a presence <laughs> uh, at their their business so that to, to boost sales there too. Um, that game drew the highest rating of the week for any network. Uh, 24.3 million viewers tuned into that one. Um, more importantly, though, than any of that is that uh, she had chicken tenders with seemingly ranch. Yeah, it seems like a couple of brands got in on the fun as well, too. Yeah, that's right. We had a senior reporter, Jess Ruderman, Jay Rude, as we like to call her, yeah. just did a roundup of a few brand responses to uh, Taylor Swift having some, uh, some chicken with seemingly ranch at the game. You had Arby's, Hidden Valley... Van Leeuwen, the ice cream, uh, the History Channel. It's my personal favorite. Uh, that, that was a good one as well. Yeah, had a reaction to and that. Ritz. So, uh, and Ritz. And Ritz. Um, and I, it was everywhere. I mean, I just saw, I mean, like even the PGA Tour, I'm a, I'm a big golf fan. So I saw they were like, we heard Travis Kelsey was trending and they just showed him hitting a golf ball a few times. It looks like everybody was kind of getting out on it where they could. Bree, I want to ask you, what do you make of this situation? And then just, you know, a little bit more broadly, how do you know this is obviously a huge deal? We know the power that Taylor Smith or Taylor Swift commands, but how do you know when it's the moment for your brand to get in and it's relevant for you to join in the conversation? And when is it just, you know, getting in on the hype for no purpose? Let's just get your, you know, get your take on that swifties are going to come for you for accidentally calling her taylor smith uh yeah there's a right time to jump in and there's a wrong time i but i think with how big this opportunity is i this is one of the rare instances that i think the trend isn't as fleeting as some of the other stuff we've seen like kevin that we're going to talk about I think he'll be on probably within the next six hours, but this will probably last through end of next week um, as, as brands start to jump on this. I saw a paid ad on TikTok from Pfizer, which I think they partnered with him a while ago and they're like resurfacing their dark ads with him in them, um, which is really iconic. But yeah, I think obviously with, with anything big celeb name brand, there's a lot of uh, murky waters that large brands have to navigate, which makes it difficult creatively on how to jump in on this in a way that keeps our legal teams happy. And um, so that's, that's always a creative challenge and something to consider with this. But in general, I think jumping in on these huge cultural moments are a huge win for brands. And I mean, we joke about it not being like super important news, but as, as you guys said, like uh, we're, we're seeing increase in sales. I believe someone said how the NFL TikTok gained like 800,000 new followers in an hour, in a matter of 12 hours like that. Those are huge numbers and it can't be ignored. It's the power of the Swifties, man. Yeah. It's also kind of a testament to it when you can. Yeah, it's it's like a it's a testament to the always on nature of social media managers too, right? Like there's no off days. This happened on a Sunday where yeah. you know a lot of people were on the couch watching the football and then out of nowhere it becomes this massive opportunity for your brand to get in on the fun. Um we're going to talk about you mentioned Kevin James a few seconds ago. We are going to talk about this. Um it seems that there's a meme floating around Brandon that a lot of people are kind of quoting and getting involved with on social media. Why don't you walk us through that one a little bit? Yeah, yeah, and uh Bree, I just want to let you know that I think the Kevin James fans are going to be pretty upset to hear that you said he's not going to be sticking around for, I think they can give the Swifties a run for their money with fan power. I can uh, deal with the Kevies. Can't the deal Kevies, with the Swifties. Um, yeah. Kevin James <laughs> all over social media right now, there's a particular picture of him. Uh, it's a photo of him from 
King of Queens uh, show from the 90s. I think the photo is from 98. So 25 years old at this point, older than uh, our, our host here, you and Larkin. Yes, that's um, true. To, for the folks at home who haven't <laughs> seen this picture, Mr. James wearing a green and red flannel shirt, got his hands tucked into his jeans. He just looks kind of looks a little sly, a little mischievous. Uh, a lot of brands are getting involved, making some sort of post related to the the product or service they offer. This is this is a photo you use when you are doing something that you know you shouldn't, but you're doing it anyways. And it's a little, it's a, it's innocent. You know, yeah. it's not, no one's getting hurt, but uh. <laughs> but it's it's another big opportunity. I wanted to ask you. You know, a lot of people. Obviously, the point of memes is for you to laugh at them, but like it does seem like it's a you know it's another weapon in the social media <laughs> manager's repertoire, so to speak. Priya, do you do you dabble much with memes? Is that something that's part of your social strategy, or you know, any thoughts on Kevin James? Of course, we dabble with memeage. I mean, it's one of the most uh, powerful powerful social tools right now. I think like. It's so interesting how memes have sort of evolved like back in the 2014 era of like Kermit the Frog sipping tea. And it has now evolved into some archaic photo of Kevin James smirking (laughs) on set. I just I I love the beautiful the beautiful evolution of of the Internet. And I think it's going to keep getting crazier. I, I think it's another way for brands to sound human. I mean, obviously, there's a line where it becomes a little bit uncomfortable for a brand to use certain formats or certain images. But in general, I think tapping into that creative power and making the making content that feels like your friend would make it, which is often what memes are coming from individual users and friends. That's where it's uh, super important to prioritize that sort of content. Do you guys have any, any sort of meme strategy? Cause that's right. This is a 25 year old photo from some show that hasn't been on air and, forever. And it seems like the internet is capable of turning anything from any time period into a meme. Uh, Do you guys have like a strategy for staying ready to use seemingly anything as part of your, uh, you know, your comms and your marketing? We're always working to build a super nimble process. Reactive content is probably the category of of content I would put it into. And it's it's really hard. Um, It's really hard, especially when you're working with a cross-functional team who's used to incredibly long lead times and like weeks of thought out strategy before making anything creative. And now you have the social team being like, we need to post Kevin James in 17 minutes or else we're just going to miss the boat. So that, that shift for executives, for uh, legal teams, for any sort of admin teams that you're working with is really hard to do. And it's something that we haven't perfected, but that we're actively working on. Um, and once, once that is fixed within your organization, you can unlock that speed, but it's so hard to be speedy until you have that buy-in and and that process ready. So I think our, our strategy is less of an actual content creation strategy and more of like a process building plan, um, and strategy. And it's the only way to be able to turn out that content fast enough. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's uh let's turn our sights back a couple thousand years here, Brandon. I cannot I can safely say I did not think we would be talking about the Roman Empire in 2023, but here we are. Can you kind of tell us what's going on with the Roman Empire and why it is everywhere including publications like the New York Times right now? Yeah, it's actually it's shocking to hear that you didn't expect this cuz <laughs> as a man, it sounds like this is a thing you should be thinking about uh, every day of your life. Uh yeah, so a little bit of a a breakdown timeline here. Uh on August 19th, there's a Roman reenactor. I apologize if I butcher this guy's name. Gaius Flavius? Flavius. Uh, he made a post on Instagram 
this is it. The, the quote, ladies, many of you do not realize how often men think about the Roman Empire. Ask your husband, boyfriend, brother, father. You will be surprised by their answers. Uh, a lot of folks were very quick to reply to that post, confirming that when they've asked the men in their life how often they think about the Roman Empire, uh, they say it's daily, weekly, hourly. Um, you and you know my thoughts on this. I personally think men are lying about. Yeah, this, I so. would agree with you. I've seen I've seen some big brands have gotten in, and I've seen Panera has a Roman menu now. So people are definitely getting involved with it. And listen. I'm as much of a fan as an aqueduct as the next man, but I don't. On, I can safely say that I do not think about the Roman Empire every day. So I think there is some people playing into the trend here. But regardless, it's a huge movement. I've seen it everywhere. It's another one. Like I mentioned, the New York Times had an article about it. it's popping up and it's presenting these moments for brands to get involved. Bree, what are your thoughts on the Roman Empire? And can you confirm to us how many times you think about it a week? I think about the Roman Empire once every 37 days. Um, okay. it's, it happens around the turning of the full moon. There's something <laughs> with, with the brain. It just calls to me around that time. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been so fun to see how this meme has evolved. It's It's one of those examples where you need to allow your social team to be just chronically online because... If your social team wasn't following the evolution of people asking their partners, like how often they think about the Roman Empire, now the meme has turned into like Roman Empire, meaning something you think about often and brands are kind of spinning in that direction. And if you, if you didn't have time to follow that nuance, you would have completely like been tone deaf to the trend, which is an example of why social pros just need to have time to be online. But yeah, you stole my bullet about the Panera Roman menu. I think that's iconic. Um, I think an easy way that we try to weave into trends where maybe there's no bandwidth or time to speed to create assets against it is how can you start alluding to the language in copy? So like if you already have a stellar asset, how can you maybe weave in the Roman empire into a caption where it's like, this is my Roman Mm. empire, like simple as that. And you're speaking to the trend in a really easy way and you're not creating a huge lift for your team. So it's something we're thinking about. This, it seems like a trend that a lot of brands got involved with very quick. I think we mentioned some already. Coca-Cola, Carl's Jr., Wheat Thins. It, it, weirdly enough, Threads, uh, the the Instagram, Twitter equivalent, uh, is where a lot of this, you know, uh, the Romans would have loved blank, enter your brand name here, uh, meme format started. Um, <laughs> it just, it, it's interesting because it's very, very funny and interesting at first, but so many brands got involved so quickly. I actually saw a fair amount of, you know, uh, users on that platform kind of quick to say like, the brands killed it again. You know, too many brands got involved in this. Now it's uncool. Now we want to move on. Really? And we don't want to... I'm curious, like that happened so quickly. Uh, what is the... This may change from from meme to meme and, and you know, topic to topic, but... Uh, how do you know when it's and it's when something's dead and it's just as a brand you don't need to get involved because people have already moved on after you know Wendy's and Wheat Thins have made their posts about it? I think if you're creating content and you're like, "Damn, this would have been really funny if Wendy's didn't do this first, or this would have been really funny if this brand wouldn't have jumped on it in this way," then you're probably too late. If you if you don't have the unique angle that you can get people really excited about with the trend, then it's probably a little too late. Or if you're just duplicating what someone else is, is doing, but yeah, that's always a hard line to toe. Sometimes we will 
opt for being a little late if we're if we're super excited about our way in. But otherwise, we like to prioritize trends that we can hop on when we have the bandwidth to get it right and get it quickly. Yeah. How often do you guys think or worry about the that hyper, maybe hypercritical uh, crowd, who folks that uh, maybe are very quick to say that a brand killed something? Uh, is that is that a group of people you guys worry about or think about when you're developing your own social media strategy, or you just go, "We're never going to win those people over. Let's just go to the people we can win." I think it's the latter. I don't think you can focus on those folks. There's always going to be people who think brands are cringe. Mm. My answer is. Why are you following me then? Why, why are you following the brands then? Um, maybe maybe blocking them all would, would be a little easier. <laughs> I think the what what threads really showed me is um, that there are people who really value the brand banter and, and brand jumping into to pop culture and to social stuff. I think it was great to see the positive energy for brands on that, on that app, especially with, with launch week. And um, it reinforced that there are people who really care about brands jumping in. And to me, like I'm, I'm very biased because of the industry I'm in, but I think seeing my favorite brands jump on things that me and my friends are talking about, it feels like someone's in on the joke with me. Um, someone while brands are are arguably not people, brands are brands. It does feel like a friend of yours is talking about something that you're also excited about when brands jump into these moments. And so I think the naysayers are always going to naysay, but I want to talk to those those people that that see brands as just another exciting person to follow on social. I, w- I would agree with you, Bree. And I think, you know, aside from that, I think it does a good job of building trust with younger audiences. I think a lot of these younger audiences are a little bit distrustful of big corporations um, inherently. And, you know, seeing yeah. a brand that speaks like them, that understands the joke like them, and is maybe even quick to the punchline before them, that does a nice job of engaging them and, you know, yeah. feeling like it makes somebody feel comfortable coming back to that brand. And um, I know that we uh, we just talked about threads. We are actually going to wrap up by talking a little bit more about threads. And unfortunately, it's bad news. Can you walk us through the latest, Brandon? Yes, yes. We're going to unwrap uh, threads. Oh, like that's that's an overused. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> unspool. You should have said unspool. Unspool. Oh. It's all right. We'll cut it and we'll... Uh... <laughs> What's over? He's not going to do it. I'm getting a shaking of the head. He's not going to do it. Uh, yes, uh, threads. So uh, there's a forecast that came out from Insider Intelligence fairly recently, uh, basically outlining threads as the second least popular social media platform, only second to Tumblr right now, which uh, I don't know anyone personally who has a Tumblr account. Yeah, it's so a that's, fairly dire state of affairs yeah, there. That's, yeah. No Tumblr slander. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No Tumblr We'll leave slander. that alone. We always, we always love Queen Tumblr. <laughs> but this, I mean, the forecast predicted threads to have a uh, little under 24 million US users in 2023. Uh, it compared that to a lot of its you know, bigger competitors, right? X is maybe closest at uh, around 57 million. Facebook is expected to have 178 million this year. Instagram, uh, 135. TikTok, around 102. So pretty big gap yeah. between uh, threads and a lot of those big platforms. And, and this, I, I w- admittedly, this does hurt me a little bit because when threads came out, I was so bullish on it. I think like a lot of people were. I think maybe I was just looking for an opportunity to get off Twitter or X, sorry. And I was hoping that somebody that has the, the you know, the, the presence already of Meta and of Instagram, that threads would have the best shot at it. Um, it seems to be like it's kind of, I mean, maybe there's hope for it, but like things are starting to go downhill a little bit after that initial hype. I wanted to get your kind of 
thoughts on it, Bree? How do you feel about Threads right now? Is it still part of the the Lyft game plan? And, and is there is there any hope for this platform going forward? Um, because the momentum isn't as strong there, we're just not prioritizing bandwidth. But I think that uh, we were very active on the platform for about two months after after launch, and we had a great time. I mean, we we gained twenty thousand followers. I think in about 18 days. Um, there was a lot of momentum there on the platform. Brands were brands bigger than us were seeing even larger numbers and in, in, in ROI there. But I think what we learned from Threads is the nimble style of creating content. I, I wonder if it was evident to you guys as users if you felt like brands were being a little bit more casual and off the cuff there, at, at least for me in the industry. I think we all, all, all of us brand social media managers were kind of like letting loose as we tried out this new platform. And that is a learning that we're going to take across other platforms that, that stick around is that, that nimble style of content creation, being able to quickly throw off posts and, and make content is a philosophy that we want to keep on the other platforms that we're prioritizing. But I'm curious if you guys felt that too, like, did you feel brands tone of voice was a little bit more off the cuff and casual. Yeah, so I I cover social media pretty often, and uh, I found that it, it was it was the type of posts and also the the type of responses that that brands were getting. Right, there was a, a story I did yeah. back in July, right, where <laughs> yeah. I was comparing brands who were making identical posts on X and Threads, and the the quality of mm. replies that they mm. were getting were completely different. I mean, you had X people doing yeah. their X thing, and then you had Threads. Engaging with the tone of voice, you know, being like, "Oh, that's so funny!" It's the best marketing team ever. You know, it, it's there seemed to be a pretty stark difference uh, there. But I don't know. It's so what I've gotten speaking to to social media folks over the the months is that uh, Threads' biggest thing it had going for it was being a lot like X in providing you know that water cooler, right? That space to immediately mm. hop onto a, a cultural conversation. But banking on people defecting from X maybe isn't the the best strategy, right? There were a lot of features that that I've been hearing folks clamoring for decentralization um, being one uh, an ad model, right? Uh, still waiting on that. Um, and better searching, I think, was the largest pain point for us. Is I couldn't search Lyft yeah. to see what people were saying. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, that's, huge, huge I remember problem. that being a wow. big problem. I covered it a little bit speaking to PR pros too. And it's just like, it's so, it's impossible. Like if you can't search to see where your brand is being mentioned, you can't get ahead of any potential crises. Yeah. You can't see what people are engaging on. You can't see yeah. what they're liking. That's a big problem. And you know, I think a lot of this was kind of like people knew that X and Twitter wasn't in a good space. Timing wise, it made sense to roll it out and try and get some people to come over. But then you risk not having all those features and you know, does it have any... Does it have any staying power? I guess we'll see. But um, as of right now, it doesn't look too hot. Yeah. And it's just, it's, you know, every time it has rolled out a new feature, right? It just came out with the web version mm. uh, at the end of August. Every new feature they have rolled out hasn't really seemed to make much of a tick in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, getting that user count up. So it's, it could just be the wrong features or, you know, maybe, maybe folks are just done. 
I guess we'll have to see. Well, unfortunately, that just about wraps our show today, folks. Bree, thank you so much for joining us. We had a lovely discussion. Fantastic speaking with you. Um, hopefully, we'll get to have you back on soon. And thanks to you, Brandon. Couldn't have done it without you. And hopefully, they let us do us again. Maybe not. I guess we'll see after the show. Um, but before we let you go, guys, don't forget to join us in Chicago on October 11th and 12th for PR Decoded and the PR Week Purpose Awards. going to be a great event. This year's 40 Under 40 honorees will be honored on October 26th in New York City. I'd love to see you there. The PR Week Awards, the first deadline is this Friday, the 29th, so make sure to get your entries in there. And finally, the PR Week Hall of Fame is on the 14th of December in New York. That's all we've got time for. We'll catch you next time on the PR Week. PR Week.